Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Langdon Dement, Global EHS Advisor for Evotix, and Julian Taylor, Head of Enablement for Evotix, about tips for EHS professionals. This episode is sponsored by Evotix. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Langdon Dement, Global EHS Advisor for Evotix, and Julian Taylor, Head of Enablement for Evotix. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi there. Thanks. Good to be with you. Good to have you. And um, before we kind of launch into talking about some tips for uh, EHS professionals, I was wondering if you could each uh, tell me a little bit about yourselves and what you do for Evotech. So uh, Langdon, why don't you start us off? Uh, sure. Thanks, Jay. Uh, so Langdon DeMent, uh, Global EHS Advisor. So my role here is similar in the fashion to what I've done in the past, but I am a certified safety professional, been in health and safety for I guess about 12 years or so, 12, 13 years after receiving my master's in occupational health and safety, industrial hygiene. And my my role is really a little bit of health and safety consulting where I, where I can fit that in, uh, just being a little more on the limited side, but also helping from a, a process, uh, procedural standpoint, kind of helping organizations develop or maybe even refine their health and safety processes a lot of the product that we have from a, as we're switching over, a lot of the world's trying to switch over from homegrown systems, internal Excel spreadsheets, other systems such as that. Also that transition to uh, general health and safety tools that can help uh, create better efficiency. I, I work on that side as well. So really from that standpoint, kind of help on a variety of variety of fronts, if you will, internally here. All right, and Julian. Um, my, I've I've got this strange title, Jay, which is head of enablement. Um, um, and I, I've been with the business for a long time now, so um, I'm I've got health and safety qualifications, but I've got a very sort of mixed background, which in, in, includes as well training, includes an element of HR, um, and also uh, sort of being involved on the sales side of our organisation. So I support our sales team in terms of the materials information that and, and their approach to market um, I, I talk to customers which is great because it gives me that insight into what's hap happening in the world of, of, of EHS um, and the things that people are concerned about and they're talking about um, and I also get involved with sort of a lot of the sort of ambassadorial things that happen in, in the business. So the speaking um, slots that we have um, at, at things like um, ASSP, NSC, um, and also myself and Langdon both work together on on our podcast, which is called Two Bull Guys Talking Safety. And, and that's really all about trying to, and you might have noticed we are follically challenged. Um, but that's, that's all about really trying to tap into what's going on in safety at the moment, what are the things that people are concerned about, what are the important things that people want to talk about, um, and, and I suppose giving our slants on, on those and, and sort, of, sort, of, sort of ideas and tips, which is, which I suppose, is why we're here sitting talking to you guys today. Yeah, definitely. Um, I like that name, the podcast name. That's pretty catchy. Um, yeah, we are, yeah, we are both definitely bold guys. <laughs> yeah, plan that out. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about some tips for EHS professionals. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that uh, you guys wanted to talk about was 
not focusing so much on training and focusing more on coaching. So I was wondering if you could jump into that and feel free to take the lead, whoever wants to. Joel, so do you want to you want to lead that one? Yeah, yeah. I'll 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 pick that up to start with Jay. Um, but I think we've really this has been a a a, a fuse that's been burning for for quite a while with me because I've got a, a background in training, um, and we've watched training evolve over a period of time so if you think traditionally we used to drag people off the shop floor and put them into a classroom maybe for a day two days three days um we then evolved into e-learning where we'd take them away from the shop floor and we'd we'd, we'd put them into maybe a room where they where they'd sit on a computer and they complete training and i think what, what i'm really focused sort of understanding and, and focusing on is the fact that it's not the most effective way to, to transfer knowledge and really ensure that people understand the best way of doing things. And, and that relates to everything that we do in terms of training within an organization, not just safety. Um, there are some stats out there, and I know because I've been putting a presentation today, to, together today. So for example, if, if, if we put somebody into, into some kind of lecture to, as, as a training opportunity, people on average will retain 5% of that knowledge. Wow. So it's not an, it's not, it's just not an effective way of, of getting people to work more safely, um, and and the thing I'm passionate about because of my background is coaching, um, and and we see coaching happening in lots of other areas of organisations. Don't always happen. Don't always see it happening so often within safety, um, but when we stop and think about it, I mean Jay, I'd, I'd say to you, how how if you've got kids how how good are they uh, at sort of changing their behaviors if you just tell them to do something i mean they have their moments but they're 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 both adults now so they think they're a little better than they used to be yeah so so mine are adults but they still they still don't always do the things i tell them to do yeah yeah and, and, and as human beings we don't respond well to being told to do things and and that term lecture is quite a good term because actually when we lecture to people, they don't take that knowledge on board. And another number I was looking at was quite an interesting graphic, which, which was really saying that if we want people to be able to sort of recall information effectively and easily and quickly, on average, we've got to get them to review or, or reflect on that information seven times. Um, and we've all heard managers, haven't we? We've all heard managers saying, I keep telling them and they don't do it differently. Um, well, maybe you only told them six times, so you've, you've got to tell them a seventh time. Um, so really, I think one of, one of the things that I, I think is, is, is a really big tip for people moving forwards is how can we start to get more coaching happening within the workplace, particularly around safety? Because actually that's where we start to see people taking things on board. And if you reflect on your own experiences, if you, when we think about learning, if you go and do something and actually people help you to sort of recognize and understand how to do something yourself. So, so you actually come to that, that sort of self-recognition or self-learning around something, it's far more effective than trying to read manuals or trying to sit in lectures. Um, so to me, the challenge is how can we get coach, a coaching culture around safety? So that means, first of all, potentially you've got to get managers on board 
and you've got to start to enable them and empower them to be coaches and recognizing that every time they go out on the shop floor and they're talking to people and talking around safety there's an opportunity and it's that opportunity to help people and understand why they do certain things and help them to understand how they could do it differently. Langdon, did you want to add to that? No, I mean, I think you hit right on it. It's one of those, it's one of those aspects, you know, right. We've seen for the last probably 10, 10 to 15 years, you think about how training has shifted. So we went from always being classroom. We went from always being kind of that, that long-term face-to-face training and then we have kind of shifted that to more of the online training. What was that? What did that look like? Trying to encapsulate as much as we could from that perspective. Then we realized we were going too far to the online portion because there is an aspect of the face-to-face, the real, that that you can't grasp. Mm-hmm. And I was always a proponent of blended anyway. So then you say that. And then you start realizing we're giving this training, we're making it as available as easy to to use to grasp as possible but is that really the same thing as actually learning is actually being coached on how to do something you know and i I think that's where that that difference is i I recall when i was i was probably third or fourth grade i remember i was learning how to play the the saxophone and at the time my teacher was like practice doesn't make perfect perfect practice makes perfect and it's that standpoint of if, if we're just trying to give people whatever that as employees, I mean, I do it myself. We learn how to cut corners where applicable to do the job as safely as possible without being too safe, but so we can still be productive. So when you think about that, how can we better coach? How can we better get that insight in with our employees? And I, I think that's, I agree with Jules. That's one of the crucial elements of just kind of shifting the way we're thinking about that. Go ahead. God. Well, I was going to say, say Jay, um, and, and you can reflect on this in, in sort of different ways from your own personal experiences. I, I love playing all sorts of different sports. Um, and people can show me how to do things. So they, can, so they can show me how to swing a golf club, for example. But actually, that, that doesn't always really help me in terms of enabling me to be able to swing a golf club effectively. So it's, it's that simple thing of actually, if I do it myself, Maybe with a coach stood next to me, sort of asking me questions and, and suggesting I try things slightly differently, it's a far more effective experience. Um, as, opposed so to just, that, as opposed to just telling you what to do. As opposed to telling me. You can tell me until you're blue in the face, yeah. but I'm not, going to be a be- I'm not going to be a better golfer as a result of it. Um, and I can, I can echo that. I've seen his swing before, Jay. <laughs> he has, he has. Um, <laughs> and and I, think, I think, again, reflects on the multiple trainings you might have done as individuals. I mean, the, the other example I always give is I, I've done lots of, of, of training courses around Excel. But I'm still still spectacularly bad at, at, at trying to use Excel because what I don't do is take that learning and immediately put it into practice. So actually it, it reinforces it in my mind. Um, so, so I think we're, we're not saying stop training people. What we're saying is that actually as a as a part of your approach to training you've got to train but then you've got to have this coaching mentality to reinforce the learning um and, and help help go through those seven seven reminders those seven reviews so that so that people really understand it and that sort of uh get out from behind your desk and go you know actually 
talk to absolutely. people and help yeah, them yeah. problems, right? Yeah, um, and and uh, yeah. So stop, stop, stop. Be, yeah, I mean, how we can unshackle people from the desk, and and because that, I suppose, what do you want to do as a health and safety professional? And to me, one of the things that you want to be doing is I want to be out there supporting people. Um, what I think one of the quick things to add around the learning piece is we've talked about classroom training, we've talked about e-learning. Actually, the future as well. Jay is is in micro learning. Um, we're actually with the technology we have available to us now. Potentially, people can be doing micro bite-sized pieces of learning, actually at the point of work where it's utterly relevant, mm -hmm. and actually they put it immediately into practice. So, if you think, for example, of if somebody's going to operate a piece of machinery, they could potentially scan a QR code on that piece of machinery, and Part of the training is that they work through a pre-work checklist um, before they actually do anything. So it's immediate, it's in the moment, and actually it, it's there as I'm about to start to operate this thing. Um, did the pandemic sort of add to this challenge because so much stuff was being done remotely, uh, whether it's training, you know, you couldn't get a big group of people in a room for a, for a while, so, you know, it's easier just to, you know, assign them an e-learning course and then kind of forget about it. Langdon, do you want to take that one? Yeah, I, I think, you know, that's a, we, you know, Jay, let's don't maybe go down that road totally. But I, and the reason I'm saying that is I think, I honestly think the pandemic has created a lot of setbacks, not just, you know, we spent some time talking about the training aspect and learning and, and so on. But when you think about it from a, a general health and safety standpoint, I think the pandemic really created a massive setback because we started refocusing on certain av avenues of health and safety or maybe of our organizational processes. And, and then we missed some of the, what I'll say is mundane, not meaning in a negative, but the routine aspects of health and safety. You know, there's a, a number of organizations that I've met with uh, and whether it was clients, potential clients, just general uh, health and safety execs when have had some meetings. And it's, it's, it's not funny, but it's almost funny how many of them have had that similar theme of, I almost hope OSHA or regulation, regulatory body doesn't come in because our, our health and safety is, is lacking. And that's crazy when you think about it. But, and I understand, you know, a lot of the focus got put on infectious disease prevention and so much, but it almost showed that we were lacking. A lot of us had infectious disease prevention plans. We had programs for exposure control and, and so on. But I think it really showed that even though we did, we really did not. You know, we had our we had our flu plan and it stopped at that. Right. So I, I think, yeah, I do. I think it has really created a new almost precedent of sorts because now a lot of the workplaces it is the home or it's different organizations and are, are we even doing general health and safety inspections there when that is their new workplace you know so I, to me that's a pretty broad one that that if you really look at it yeah COVID has it's changed a lot and i don't know that it's ever going to go back to the way it was which isn't a bad thing because that that's an opportunity to learn and how can we grow showing that health and safety truly is on and off the job. And I'm using my fingers as quotations. I forgot we don't have the camera on. <laughs> but because it doesn't matter where you are, you know, I, we used to look at it as I'm on the job. I'm doing my health and safety there in the workplace. When I go home, 
I build a tree house or I do something for my children in the back and I might throw some of that general, oh, I don't need my glasses. They're way over there. It's a hundred degrees in the summertime. I, I'm just going to do this one cut, you know, whatever it is. And I think now it shows that how important it is that no matter where you are, there is a level of health and safety that we need to take into extra consideration, whether it's the training, whether it's the general and just a quick safety startup checklist kind of thinking, ensuring that everything that you have is is ready to go. So to me, it has made a, a massive change. But at the same time, I think it's I think it's almost a good thing because it, it can help us to take it back to the basics of just general thinking of health and safety. Definitely. I was just I was just going to add to that, Jay. I think I think it has had some positive ramifications in terms of what it did show businesses was that that quite often their their systems weren't fit for purpose with particularly around health and safety. I think being realistic, m many parts of organisations are well invested in they've got good systems and safety typically lagged behind. Um, and all of a sudden that was sort of put into the spotlight it was put into the spotlight because actually people are working from home and they didn't have fit for purpose systems they couldn't really understand whether people were were trained effectively or not so i think what it has done is is sort of put a new focus back into health and safety and i think the other part of it is around that mental well-being side as well so all of a sudden with everybody working from home there was suddenly this again focus on actually are people in the right place mentally as a result of this sort of lack of social interaction mm -hmm. um, that, yeah definitely um all right let's move on to data um talking about <laughs> you know sort of doing things differently than than sort of the same old way you've done it with data so let, let's talk about that and, and and I'm 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 chuckling here, Jay, because this is why I, I don't like talking about sort of trends for 2023, or because actually this is a trend that we've seen for a long time, right. um, and and we'd kind of urge people it's time to just shake shake it up a bit, um, and 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 I say that because we go to so many organisations and we talk to them about the things that they're trying to do and the ambitions they've got. Um, and the first thing they always talk to us is about incident management. So me and Langdon have got a very clear view on this, which is what are the priorities as a health and safety specialist? And actually what we want to do is we want to focus on hazard management. Yeah. Um, incident management is obviously something we have to do, but our priority should be preventative. Um, and, and so many of those organizations that we talk to, we talk to them about what they do and they're in a rut or they're just in a habit in terms of the things that they report on and the, the way that they use data within their organization. Um, so, so very much it's about this monthly report that goes to senior leadership and it goes to senior leadership and it's about incidents. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about history, Jay. We're not going to talk about anything that we can change or affect. We're going to talk about history. Um, and, and that's our big challenge. That's our big tip is, is actually take the time to stop and reflect in terms of right what data do we collect okay and actually how can we use that to drive better performance and I'm, I'll, I'll stop talking for a minute and let Langdon carry on on that one no I think that's it and it's one of those 
and that's the whole point of trying to transition to utilizing something better, whether it's a, you know, an, an external software product or, or even if you decide to create one internal that you can, you know, if you have the resources, it, it's, what are, what are we getting? What are we capturing? How are we actually utilizing those insights? You know, like BLS every year puts a ton of data out and it's great. Those are all lagging indicators, but it's still, it's, it's great because it shows where we've been. And to Jules's point, you know, so many organizations, they focus on that incident management aspect. And, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, there is a criticality that we must, of course. But how can we shift that when we think prevention? How can we shift that thought when we're thinking more on a preventative standpoint? And I think we've uh, a ton of organizations, you know, we've done it. Um, at past organizations I've worked with here as well, we, we think about near misses and we've kind of transitioned that. But even that is really and truly, that's depending on the organization, that's kind of a, that's a lagging indicator as well. So start thinking more on good, bad observations. What's just something we're seeing? How can we learn from those insights? How can we try to get better? I mean, there's a, there's a plethora of data that we could really be trying to capture and then utilize on the prevention side. And to me, that's the that's the big picture is when we look at the past, but also look at present and future of what's happening. So we can try to, we can try to prevent anything from occurring. Cause I mean, we know stuff's going to happen, but how can we at least ensure when it does happen, it's reduced to acceptable levels. And that's the, you know, for me, that's one of the most uh, crucial aspects. Cause you don't want to just wait for something to happen before you do something about it. Right. Exactly. Uh, I think, I mean, the thing that I know we're both passionate about, Jay, is is, is hazards. Um, and actually, if you stop and think about, actually, it's relatively straightforward to put in some kind of hazard spotting sort of approach within a, within a business. So we train people, we educate them around the value of spotting hazards and what a, what a hazard is. We give them a tool to make it really easy to report those hazards. And actually what we can start to do is we can start to stop the incidents happening in the first place. Um, because we know about things and we go and put those things right. Um, so I think that's that's where we can say, right, you can start to use data in a really positive way because it tells you about these things. Um, and, and I suppose I've got a bit of a bit of a mantra of this, which is how can you use your data to start making some noise about health and safety? So so actually, rather than if, if you just send your reports to your senior leadership and, and you send it once a month, how much discussion or how often will the discussion be had in your business around health and safety? And, and I'm going to suggest that it's going to be once a month and it's going to be by this small group of people called a senior leadership team. So, so the suggestion is actually who else could that who, who else could talk about that data? So we start to think about team leads. We start to think about supervisors. Think about other managers across your business, health and safety leads, health and safety reps. So actually, if we start to collect these different types of data, so hazards, observations, inspections, risk assessments, and so on, what you can start to do is, is disseminate and give that information to more people. And you do it more frequently it means people are going to talk more often about safety. And that's that, that's what I mean by creating noise. And if people are talking about safety, it starts to become part of the day job, it starts to become just a part of the way that you do things around there. So I think that's a really good 
sort of opportunity for any health and safety professional is to say, right, let's start reflecting on the data I've got and how I can use it more effectively. Does that require sort of, I guess, uh, educating leadership a little more about what you want to actually <laughs> report? Because I would imagine they're perfectly fine with just getting that one report a month and, and leaving it at that. So you kind of need to, I imagine if you start sending them all this other stuff, they're going to be like, what, what is all this? So do you need to kind of butter them up and, you know, uh, get them sort of ready for this? What or, you could uh, do is you, you could coach them, Jay. Mm -hmm. Go back to our earlier point. Um, absolutely. Um, I think you've got to, I think a big part of all of this stuff, there's a, there's a, a consultant that we work with in the UK and she talks all the time about the importance of the why. Um, and I think it's such a good point. Um, there's no point in just sending information to people. What you've got to help them to do is understand why you're sending it. What's the value of it? And, and, and I think again, part of that value, Jay, is what's the personal value to people? So if it's senior leadership team, What's the personal value to them of this information? And it could be that actually the personal value to them is actually if we can understand and use this data more effectively, we create a safer organization. Actually, being really pragmatic, it, it, it improves our reputation as an organization. It'll help us to win more business. So actually, all of a sudden, Leadership are looking at that data in a different perspective. They're saying, yeah, we do want to know about that data because we can see a positive outcome. Yeah. Um, so uh, really good point, Jay. And, and absolutely, we need to educate them. Yeah. Uh, and this kind of leads into the next discussion point, which is sort of uh, looking at how safety supports great business performance. Yeah, I think that's a that's a crucial element and it's because you know it's just what i mean it, it really builds off exactly what you just said so when we start trying to think of how can we better work with how can we better work with leaders to make a change right what does that look like and ultimately no matter no matter how we look at it, it it's a it's kind of a multifaceted approach because what happens i mean you know we hear i've gotten jules on board with my lack of uh my lack of, I guess, light of the term safety culture more so over the last couple of years. And it's because how many organizations actually have a safety culture? I mean, that's kind of a hogwash from the standpoint that it's not about a safety culture. It's about a safe operations, which can incorporate various cultures, if you will. And when we think about what makes good business, it, it, at the end of the day, we have to be profitable. You know, if we're not, we we won't be in business, and then there's a whole there's a whole another line of issues. So when we think about that, why does why does health and safety matter, and how does that better fit in all aspects, whether it's the safety, the productivity, the quality? I mean, you know, the list can go on and on. And when we think of health and safety and where that can actually be a value add, because people are not getting injured, we have a, a workforce that's aware of what's happening. We have employees who who understand the importance because they want to go home safely. And, and then frontline managers, senior level managers, they understand the importance of wanting to send people home because if they're health and if they're healthy and safe at work and they're healthy and safe at home, then that relationship is going to continue on so that they can be healthy and safe at work and do their job. You know, so I think the more that we, 
really promote health and safety throughout, the more that we start looking at what can we do differently, not seeing health and safety as a, not a cost center, but health and safety doesn't cost, you know, it, it pays and it pays in numerous aspects, whether we're trying to tighten up from, you know, what's happening or if we're going down a recession or, you know, who knows, but if you maintain healthy and safe employees, you're going to have a a workforce that has better morale, better productivity, better quality, less um, transition of employees having to get new hires. So there's, you know, there's a, there's a plethora of stats that really, that really back that. But the more that we can draw that engagement, establish that better camaraderie with one another, understanding that health and safety, you know, it, it might come from myself as a health and safety manager, but really I'm just kind of one person that's helping to empower others. And because true health and safety, that's at the front line. That's where the workers are. Are they mm -hmm. doing it as safe as possible? So, uh, you know, to me, if, you know, we always talk about what's top trends we're seeing and it's always, you know, has come or, you know, falls, yada, yada, but it's understanding how can we really ingrain health and safety in all aspects. And that's why we say, you know, having a safe operation, then that's going to equate out to that productivity, that better quality, those profits. And that's, that's why we continually try to mention that because that's, that's where it is. If we can maintain that true health and safety in all aspects, we're going to reap the benefits, if you will. Yeah, and it seems, just, seems like oh, – oh, go ahead, Julian. No, no, you go, you go Jay, and then I'll, I'll – I was in. just going to say, uh, it seems like, it, you know, to do this, you really, as an EHS professional, have to take more of a big-picture approach as opposed to just drilling down on, you know, th these mm -hmm. are the incidents that happened last month and really kind of explaining to folks who should know this already that, you know, a safe company is a productive company. Uh -huh. Absolutely. Um, I think I think when you look at you look at safety training across the across the globe, Jay. So whether it's as a as a as a safety professional in the UK or whether it's in the US, the thing that we don't train health and safety professionals in is how to influence people. Um, and 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 I think it's so important because if you stop and think about getting safety to work in in a in an organisation. The first thing you've got to do, and it relates exactly back to that point that Langdon made about safety culture or safe operations, is, is actually you need leadership because the, the, the things that leadership say every day will have a direct correlation to whether you're successful or not. Because actually, if they talk about other metrics and other things being really important, people will push safety to, a, to, to one side to make sure they hit those other numbers. So you've got to have that support from from leadership and that support then goes even further, doesn't it? Because if you think about safety, we need investment, whether it's in people, whether it's in, in, in systems, whether it's in equipment, we need investment. And, and, and it, that's difficult enough to do when times are good. But in, in times of maybe an economic downturn, the purse strings get tightened. It's even harder. So. I think Langdon's point around safe operations, that's a really great point to make because it goes into what you just said, Jay, which is actually if we can if we can drive safe operations, Sidney Decker said it, didn't he? A safe site is a productive site and it's a site where the quality is better. Um, 
And actually, those are the kind of things that really start to interest senior leadership. So to me, this, this how can we, understanding how we can show that safety supports business performance is a really fundamental part of moving the bar forwards uh, around safety in an organization. And, you know, I think, Jay, right quick, I think there's another aspect of that that really we have, I think a lot of times we kind of fail. I don't know how much we are actually promoting health and safety, meaning how much are we really trying to make champions of our health and safety coordinators or of our people that are coming out fresh, whether it was, you know, fresh from their you know, master's program or they're shifting into health and safety. So you think about that and it really ties into that great business because if we're not capturing, if we're not helping them understand the overall importance, because I mean, I, I can speak to this from my own personal uh, experiences. You know, you learn a focus, I learn health and safety, I, I learn how that actually, how does that actually play a role in the overall of the organization, but there's a lot more to it. And I think trying to really bring better knowledge for health and safety professionals and really helping them grow, that helps the organization grow, which in turn will help better business performance because it empowers leadership because they have health and safety professionals that they know understand the overarching business and where health and safety fits. You know, so I, I know that's kind of a little thing where as Joe's was talking, I was kind of thinking about, but really making investments in our health and safety professionals and understanding where that fits. To me, that's something I'm not sure that we really put the focus that we need to into that. Well, and that all, and that all plays back to, you know, making that argument that safety is so important to, you know, to your business and being able to make that argument, not just sort of believing it, but actually explaining it and convincing other people. Exactly. Um, and this kind of leads into sort of another uh, message that you kind of want to deliver, which is, uh, you know, taking things back to basics, uh, you know, as you're kind of, you know, delivering this information. So let's talk about sort of, let's talk about that. I think, yeah, no, that's great. And we hit on it a little bit earlier. It's whether it's from, I mean, you know, we say it maybe a little bit, whether it's from the pandemic or whether it's from just generality, I think always maintaining and keeping that focus on wanting to keep things simple. You know, how is, if you do any process or whenever I've, you know, Joel's brought up golf swing earlier when working on my golf swing, or if I'm working on a new program or trying to develop a new policy process, it's not about creating something that's so convoluted, so difficult that it cannot be adopted or repeatable. And that's, you know, I think about it even when I was in my, um, uh, my university, a bachelor's degree, I was taking labs and I always made the most detailed notes in biology. And it was because when I did a lab, I wanted to be able to, if I knew, if I messed up somewhere, I needed to know where did I mess up and I, I kept it as simple as possible, just wrote lines out. And I think that's the same thing. When we think about health and safety, we're trying to really drive better engagement. We're trying to drive better knowledge. We're trying to refine processes. Maybe it's incident management. Maybe it's, you know, the importance of hazard recognition. That is, those are some basic things that we can do. Those are really pretty simple tasks. So if we can focus on those and just take it back to how can we do those better and look at what we're doing. Many times it's it's about that introspective look. You know, what is my organization doing? How am I managing it? And, you know, it all ties back to that, 
greater learning, that greater coaching, but keeping processes simple so that we can actually be better preventative. That's, I think that's one of the main things we get so caught up on all these new flashy big processes or this or that when, you know, is that really applicable? Maybe we need to look back at what can, what are we doing now and what can we do better? And, and that's why, you know, we always try to focus on keeping it, take it back to the basics because sometimes the basics are, they're pretty good. We just need to understand how to refine them better. Jules, anything you'd like to add there? Oh, I could sit here for hours and talk about this landing. You know that. So. Well, no, that's why I said, well, let's do quick then. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Let me ask you a question, Jay. Um, how's your attention span these days? Do, do, do you get distracted at all? I mean, I think uh, just like anybody else with, you know, uh, all this, all the electronics and different things in your face, you know, I think it's a lot easier to get distracted than, uh, than I, I was probably, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And, and, and I think that's, that's a really important, important point to consider here, Jay, is that um, the world we live in has changed, doesn't it? And um, I frequently sit there at night and, and the TV will be on and I'm looking at my phone and I'm not really paying that much attention to either thing. Um, <laughs> and and we, our attention spans have been affected by the technology that we've got. Yeah. So, we, we need to simplify things because otherwise they just don't happen. You think about some of the perennial challenges we've had around safety, things like reporting, getting people to report things. Yeah. Why don't people complete forms? And oftentimes it's because we've not designed the form very well. We've made it too long and we've made it too complex and people don't know what you're asking for. So to me, it's all about how we keeping it simple. You, you just got more chance of people doing things. Um, let me ask you another question, Jay. Do you, do you know where the term or, or where the acronym KISS comes from? Keep it simple, stupid. Uh, I was from, uh, I remember it being used when, um, I want to say Bill Clinton was running for office, but I could be, uh, I could be wrong. <laughs> okay. Slightly older. Yeah. So it goes way, so, it, so it's actually, it's the most misquoted acronym in the world. Okay. So the, the acronym is keep it stupidly simple. Yeah. Um, and I, I was the same as you, Jay. I always used to say, keep it simple, stupid. And I always used to cringe slightly because I thought, see, it's, it's slightly insulting. <laughs> it is. Um, and, but actually, and somebody put me right. They said, it's keep it stupidly simple. And it actually originates from, from NASA in the early, uh, from the sort of early sort of space missions. And if you think about that scenario where you've got an astronaut in a, in a, in a spacecraft and there's all this noise and chaos around them, Actually, what they wanted to do is they need to hit certain buttons at certain times. They need to make it really simple and really obvious. And I think when you hear that story, I think it's a really great way of making us think about safety, um, particularly in the modern age where we've got millennials, we've got Generation X, all these different generations coming in who are used to being able to do things immediately. They used to be able to do it really quickly and really easily. We've got to apply that to safety. And again, you can come back to almost to that investment piece that we talked about with, with senior leadership a moment ago. How do those young people react if we say, come in and do safety in this organization, you need to have a pen and a piece of paper. It, it, what does it say about the importance of safety? Um, so to me, one of the things about safety is let's, let's make it really, really simple 
make it really snappy because then people are just more likely to do it and that starts to drive that data that we talked about earlier that helps us to get better yeah definitely um and and i guess are you starting to see this happen or is, are we still kind of a ways off from from getting that down you know properly yeah no i, I think it just appears uh, that's a good question um I'll say I don't know that I have an answer for it, but it's because I think it really it just depends on the organization and meaning, you know, some are at points where maybe they barely even have safety management. Maybe they they might even have a safety professional on staff. They just outsource it. They consult and or they have someone that kind of manages little aspects. So I, and that's why I say that's a difficult question because it's very dependent on what the organization is you know some have some of the larger ones that you would think global companies that they're so ahead of the game in in the sense of health and safety we kind of think i've worked with them and honestly their processes are so difficult they're so convoluted and it i mean on the flip side it is because they are massive organizations but you know that's not the principle of keeping it simple or taking things back to the basics or, or whatever you want to say so you know i think it just depends on what the organization is and taking that introspective where are they from a maturity standpoint meaning where are they from just general health and safety so yeah i think overall we're kind of getting more so to that point but i think it definitely even to i say that and i can be proven wrong in five seconds with someone you know could always call and say we don't do anything you know so mm -hmm. it's very much dependent uh, i think depending on the organization i'm, I'm gonna just go with my with my bald colleague here and and concur with that really <laughs> hard hard question to answer jay um i think we've still got a way to go i think yeah. there's lots of people working really hard out there but i think we've still got a way to go in terms of making it really simple and really easy um and there are lots of examples where you can just stop and think about this. And um, I was thinking about about a HASCHEM assessment. So you think about lots of HASCHEM assessments, they, they almost just became a replica of a of a of a safety data sheet. Um, well, you think about if you're a guy on the shop floor trying to do maybe a maintenance procedure with with some kind of chemical or lubricant um, and you're faced with something that looks like a safety data sheet. Again, the complexity of that probably means you, you're probably just not going to read it or you're not going to take in and understand the information effectively. Um, so it's things like that where how can we simplify that that document so it's really easy to read for that person at that moment in time doing that thing? How is it really easy for them to take that information on board so that actually they, 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 they keep themselves safe? Because they don't probably don't have 25 minutes to sit down and read it in detail. They don't because there'll be a supervisor saying, why is the job not done? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the last thing I wanted to talk to you guys about was uh, is something that has been obviously a huge concern over the last few years, uh, employee retention. You know, we've seen, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, sort of that younger workforce uh, that doesn't, you know, they don't tend to stick around at jobs like, you know, maybe folks did 20, 30 years ago where you kind of got a job and you stayed there for your whole career. Now it's like, you know, year here, two years there, and keep moving as you find better opportunities. Um, you know, how are, uh, you know, how are, uh, I guess, 
uh, companies dealing with that and, you know, from the EHS uh, professional side, you know, how should they kind of, uh, you know, consider that? That's a, that's a tough one. Joel, let me start and then I'm going to leave it to you to finish this out. <laughs> and the reason I'm laughing is that's a tough one because, you know, a few years ago we had really the, just a, a perfect storm of sorts brewing from the standpoint that we had an aging workforce more importantly, I guess an aging population that were still working, you had more, they had comorbidities and we saw the cost of actual, uh, whether it be insurance premiums or just general health and safety, medical cost indemnity, they were skyrocketing. So we had a perfect storm. So it was really setting up very well for younger, the younger workers to get in and, and kind of bridge that gap a little bit. And what have we seen? And honestly, this was a little bit pre-COVID, but I do think we've seen it probably exacerbated since COVID. And that's uh, there's a large population, and typically they're younger, where they don't have those same maybe as diligent work ethics sometimes or as hard, uh, meaning understanding that sometimes I might have to go through a few years of a little tougher work or maybe not making as much money because it is a harder job and then kind of transitioning over to where the gratification comes where i get paid more i get more you know whatever notoriety so to speak and we also say that what's the focus that a lot of the younger workers what is it that they have you know that's part of that is the growth of the esg component i think that's a huge aspect for them so it's tough when we try to bridge that because now you have another perfect storm of those a few things that I mentioned at the beginning, but as a safety professional, so I have to maintain that aging workforce, the people that have done the job for so long, but then I have a younger population that's coming in and all they know is how to utilize social media, how to utilize phone, how to, you know, things like that. How do I bridge those two? And that's where the importance of really establishing, I think, that rapport, establishing that camaraderie with one another, trying to come up with different things that can really bridge those. So I'm I'm tailoring it to the maybe the aged population. I'm tailoring it to the younger population, trying to come up with different aspects of how we can work together to have better retention, to have better morale, to have better productivity. And so that's that's a very it's a very challenging topic because we still see a lot of organizations that are they're very broad in that. Um, so and, and of course, it also depends on the locality of where the company is, if they're, you know, depending on where they are. So that's a I think that's a challenge that we have seen over the last couple of years. And especially during covid, as I mentioned, you know, I think that exacerbated a lot of things and maybe even for the negative in certain areas such as uh, going to work and, and keeping your employees. But we have to figure out how can we better create cultures of learning and really promotion together so that we can continue to grow and we can keep employees. Um, that's a, that's a, I'll leave the rest to Joel because that's a challenging aspect just because there are so many, there are so many different areas to look at when it comes to that. And it's, I think it can vary greatly depending on the organization as well. I like the way he takes the difficult question, Jay, gives, gives all the good stuff and then hands it back to me. To finish it up. That's, that's because good. I was painted up for you to just really knock it out of the park right now, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> hit it down the fairway. Well, I think, I think 
uh, I think you can think about some really simple things here, Jay, in terms of employee retention is think about how do people feel when they're at work? So first of all, do, do they actually feel safe at work? So if, if the workplace doesn't feel safe and you feel like the organization isn't interested in safety and they're not invested in keeping me safe, actually straight away, you've got a, a failure point there, which says, actually, I might just, just go and find somewhere where I do feel safe and where I feel like safety is a priority. Um, so, so I think that's a really simple way to, to, to think about things. Um, I think another way is thinking about what, what do people feel and what's important? And actually, is, is actually, am I important as an individual? Um, so safety can play a good, good part in that, in that piece because by actually empowering people around safety and asking them to do things around safety and, and then reflecting on the things that they've done and showing that there's a, an importance to those things, actually we make people feel important. Uh, and again, that's a great way of, of sort of helping to get people to think, actually, I like working here. I'm, I'm recognized. I'm important. So I'm going to stay. Um, so I think as well as all the sort of things we can talk about in terms of sort of, yeah, the, the sort of the, the way that it's going to help the business, we think about the employee specifically and actually just think about the simple things that we want as human beings. Yeah. I want to feel safe. I want to feel important. I want to feel recognized. And safety can play a really key part in doing those things. So, again, it's part of that influencing piece to senior leadership is to get that message across that safety has this role to play. And actually, if we create a safe workplace, we will help to keep our people. The knock-on effect as well is if we keep our people, the longer they're here, actually, they become more productive. They get better at their job. So, actually, our quality improves as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there's that loss of institutional knowledge. If you've got folks who are just kind of, you know, there for a year or two and then taking off, you have to retrain new employees. Right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the big challenges, you think about what Langham was talking about, is if we've got an aging workforce, that aging workforce retires or leaves the organization, almost always there's a kind of dilution of knowledge, isn't there? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's how do you really effectively pass across 30 years of experience and knowledge when somebody hangs their gloves up. So, so actually retention is such an important subject. And, and again, that transfer of knowledge. Definitely. Well, Julian and Langdon, I want to thank you so much. This has been a great discussion. We've covered a lot of ground and uh, thank you again. Jay, it's been, it's been really thank interesting. You. And thanks for invite, inviting us on. Yeah. All right. Yeah, very much appreciate it. That wraps up episode 135 of EHS on Tap. Thanks to Evatix for sponsoring the episode. You can find more information about the show and listen on demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. Mm -hmm.